I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also catch me live Sunday nights in St. Louis, 97.1 FM Talk, 7 to 9 p.m. During the week, I do videos and podcasts and all kinds of things at HeidiHarris.com. So check HeidiHarris.com for all of these. Everybody's favorite guest on my show over the last couple of years has been Dr. Kelly Victory, who has provided hashtag VaxNotFear on covid Uh, the vaccines, the side effects, things we should be concerned about. And she's always so gracious to take time to give the great information that so few doctors are willing to put out there because, frankly, a lot of them lack moral courage, even though they know better. Dr. Victory, welcome back. So glad to have you. Thanks, as always, for having me, Heidi. I think it's so important, uh, and I so appreciate you doing these broadcasts because uh, people just are not being able to access um, the kinds of information that you and I talk about. And if folks want to disagree with me or disagree with us, um, that's that's great. I think open, robust dialogue is really what we deserve and what we need right now. That's right. Well, also, people can find these. Uh, now I'm putting them on Rumble because Vimeo shut me down, just so people know. <laughs> I'm on Rumble, the Heidi Harris Show channel, uh, and I'm also on YouTube occasionally, although I don't even bother with you and me on YouTube anymore. They always right. block it. I put everything at HeidiHarris.com, everybody. So if you see this thing, you want to share it with somebody else, HeidiHarris.com. I will link the video to wherever I put it, the platform, and then you can find it at HeidiHarris.com. So talk to me about the variant. I'm supposed to run back into my house because it's <laughs> the BA4, the BA5. What is it, doctor? Oh my goodness, Uh, Heidi, um, these are variants that are behaving precisely as we would anticipate a viral mutation to behave. To be clear, all viruses mutate. Coronaviruses are particularly adept at it. They do it more quickly even than other viruses. We began with the original Wuhan strain. Then it mutated several times to what we call Delta. Then it mutated several times to Lambda. And then ultimately we got to Omicron. And now we have subvariants of Omicron, BA4 and BA5. The reality is this, BA4 and BA5, as I said, are behaving exactly as we would expect. They've done two things. Number one, they've become more contagious, more transmissible, easier to spread to others. And at the same time, they have become number two, less lethal, less severe, capable of causing less severe illness. That is the nature of viral mutations with extraordinarily rare exception. I can't even think of an exception to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. So while these are more contagious, you know, think of th- viruses that are extremely contagious. Pink eye, for example, the, the yeah. viruses that cause conjunctivitis. I just have to look at somebody with conjunctivitis and I get it. Uh, yeah. Same thing. Nobody dies of conjunctivitis. Is it a nuisance? You betcha. Oh, yeah. But you don't die of it. Same with this. This virus has mutated to a form that is very, very mild. I think what we should be focusing on and the more interesting thing to focus on is the fact that people who are multiply vaccinated, meaning they got, for example, the, the first two shot regimen and then have gotten a, a booster or maybe two boosters, those are the folks who are continuing to get reinfected with these different mutations. Even though they are mild, these folks who are multiply vaccinated have suppression of their immune response, unfortunately, and we can talk about why. And those folks, unfortunately, are getting this thing over and over again, although fortunately, it is very mild. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because there are people who have said that, you know, the 
the uh, so-called vaccine that came out initially worked for certain things, but doesn't work for others. So talk to me about people like me, the vast majority of Americans who've already had COVID. I'm COVID recovered, you're COVID recovered. I had in 2020, June of 2020, so a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, I've not had one problem since. I sailed through Delta, Lambda, I've lost track of all these. I haven't (laughs) got anything since. Why is that? That is it, is it a combination of me taking better care of myself, sleeping more and things like that? Or is it just simply that I have such a robust, uh, you know, T-cell immune response that I'm not going to get these other things? Well, here's the reality. The important thing is, Heidi, you're not just COVID recovered. You're COVID recovered and unvaccinated. Mm, right. It's people who had COVID and didn't get vaccinated, like you, like me, who developed a very robust immune response. Mm-hmm. When we got the virus... We developed antibodies to that spike protein, but you and I also developed antibodies to about a thousand or 1200 other parts to the outside of that virus. So when the virus mutated and the spike protein changed, those antibodies that we have to the spike protein are pretty much useless. Fortunately, we have 1200 other antibody classes that recognize other parts. And therefore we haven't come down with those other variations. People who got immunized, got the vaccine, developed antibodies only to the spike protein. And unfortunately, when that spike protein mutated, they did not develop antibodies to anything else and in fact have suppression of the normal immune response. They don't seem to mount the same immune response. So when they come into contact with Omicron or Delta or BA4 or BA5, they have an army of useless antibodies. They were antibodies that recognized only that original Wuhan spike because that's what the MRA told them to make. And unfortunately, they've got a useless army. So if you go out and get vaccinated today for uh, for COVID-19, you will develop antibodies that are useless because they are going to target a spike protein that no longer exists. It is mutated out of existence and has for more than a year now. Unbelievable. Let's talk a little bit about the whole idea of people suddenly dying suddenly. Now, obviously, we don't know for sure. Okay, all you got to do is Google, died suddenly. We see it all day. You and I send each other things all the time, back and forth, text each other. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We can't be certain that the vaccine killed somebody. But if it were the case, I've seen those videos you have too of the embalmers pulling these weird clots out of people's bodies. Talk about that, you know, when that happens and, and how that could cause somebody's death potentially very suddenly. Somebody who had been healthy yesterday, suddenly, boom, uh, falls down. Well, okay, whatever. Uh, drowns in a pool. Uh, we're seeing those kind of stories. Uh, passes out behind the wheel of the car. We, we've seen the stories. Well, while you are correct, Heidi, that we cannot say with certainty what is causing this increase in deaths. We can absolutely say with certainty that they are happening. The data are irrefutable. We know from life insurance companies, we know from the medical insurance companies that all cause deaths are up somewhere in the range of 40% amongst previously healthy 18 to 49 year olds. That's a massive increase. And we're seeing that not just in the US, but worldwide. So this isn't conspiracy theory. Deaths are up, all cause deaths, non-COVID deaths. So one has to come up with an explanation of some sort. And certainly the vaccines um, are, you know, should be a significant uh, contender uh, for the causality of these. Yeah, because There's what no... else has changed? What else has changed in the last Correct. two years? 
That's the question. Correct, because it, many of these are people who did not have COVID. Um, or so, and they, you know, we are not having ready access to vaccine status in all of them, but there's a fair amount of conjecture. Take, for example, young, healthy athletes. We know that young, healthy athletes died at a rate of 22 times the average of previous years. Wow. You, you point out, yes, if you Google something like died suddenly, died suddenly has become a, the single most common phrase in an obituary recently. Mm-hmm. It's not just high profile you know, actors and sports figures and politicians, but there are many, you know, every day I read stories about people who died suddenly. And then when they do the autopsy, they come to the inexplicable compu- conclusion that it was, quote, natural causes. Well, the natural causes of, you know, blood clot to the brain or brain hemorrhage, myocarditis, pericarditis, sudden cardiac death. That's not, quote, a normal cause of death for, say, a 25-year-old. Right. And we're talking only about the deaths. You take, you know, take a Justin Bieber. Uh, you know, with his Ramsey Hunt syndrome and facial paralysis and his 26-year-old wife with a brain hemorrhage. These are not things that normally happen in young, healthy people. And unfortunately, the uh, powers that be have a vested interest in coming up with every other kind of explanation. But when you see all of these people, just look at the soccer players, the number of soccer players worldwide who have literally dropped dead on the field. This is something we'd never heard of before. And they came up with this this acronym, SADS. I love that. Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, as if this is something. SADS. I said, well, in their defense, you know, died unexpectedly from tragic complications of an untested vaccine is a bit unwieldy. So SADS, I suppose, is a little easier to say. But the reality is we are obligated as scientists to look into what is causing this. It is the CDC's mandate to examine and do the due diligence on things of this sort. When we are seeing an increase in all-cause mortality of this number, this magnitude, the CDC's job is to dive into that and figure it out. And instead, rather than doing that, they're refusing to release the data. And all you hear is, you know, get your fifth booster, you know, get your 10th booster, might need to put your mask on again. Um, let's let's not ignore the elephant in the room, which is people are dropping dead and we have a right to know why. Absolutely. Now I've seen those videos you have too of embalmers, you know, putting things in jars, yeah. they pulled out of people's veins. And you've mentioned this to me before, but for those who may have missed that particular episode of our conversations, you talked about the fact that these clots that they're seeing are not like a normal clot, even if a clot killed somebody. These are completely different. Can you explain that so I can understand it? Correct. The clots that have been seen and are reported, and again, this isn't by one or two right. uh, embalmers. This is worldwide. What they are doing is finding these very unusual clots happening, interestingly, primarily in the extremities. So they are pulling out, in some cases, clots that are more than a foot in right. length out right. of a leg or an arm. And the texture, uh, the, the the composition of the clot is not normal. Normally, if you pull out a blood clot, if you you know roll it around between your fingers, it dissolves. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the nature of the average blood clot. These have a very fibrous um, texture to them. They are not normal. They don't dissolve. Uh, they have a, a lot of fibrinogen in them, which is a compound that gives them this fibrous sort of knotty quality. Very unusual. The undertakers who I've spoken to have not seen them before. I've spoken to a number of surgeons 
who are removing them, who have not seen this before. Question is, what is causing these people to develop not only clots in the first place uh, when they don't have risk factors to do so, but the actual nature of the clots, which seems to be very different. Right. And not only that, but when, you know, my dad had a blood clot years ago, which caused a stroke, minor stroke, luckily, and he took some, you know, blood thinner and the clot mm -hmm. away. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if these clots are, as you're describing, blood thinner, none of that stuff that works on normal blood clots is going to fix this stuff. And people may have those in their system and not have a clue that they're there. Correct. Until it's too late. Correct. And the only blood clots that you really recognize are ones that are large enough. There's some considerable concern that people are having microclots and that the microclots might be accounting for some of these strange symptoms that people have following vaccination, chronic headaches, for example, chronic fatigue, muscle weakness, those sorts of things. If you have lots of tiny, tiny clots going to your brain, not big enough to cause a stroke, not big enough to cause you know, left-sided weakness or you know, slurred speech, those sorts of things, but tiny clots that can cause headache, weakness, overall fatigue, lethargy, brain fog, those sorts of things. So uh, we certainly, you know, none of this, by the way, and I, I feel obligated to say this, makes me anti-vaccine. I'm not anti-vaccine, Heidi. What I am is pro-science, pro-safety, and pro-data. And unfortunately, the safety data on these vaccines is largely non-existent. Right. They were not put through the, the typical uh, course of studies before they were launched on the public. We have no long-term safety data. We don't even have 24-month safety data, let alone 48- or 60-month safety data. And the idea that we are injecting people over and over again, including children, for example, whose risk of a bad outcome from COVID is so de minimis as to be essentially indistinguishable from zero. Uh, so why you would subject them uh, to a vaccine that has zero safety testing behind it is beyond me. Yeah, to me, that's so obvious. It's not even worth it. I mean, I can't even imagine, but there are people who will line their kids up to be shot. It's stunning to me. Right. So going back to these blood clots, if when, when people are dropping dead, and once again, we don't know, everybody's different, but assuming somebody just drops dead on a hike in a pool, we've seen these behind the wheel of a car. Right. It's a woman driving her kids to school the other day. I mean, we're seeing it all over the place. I talked to uh, Josh Yoder. I don't even know him from U.S. Freedom Flyers. Mm -hmm. He's very much against the mandates. He was telling me he talked to a trooper in Florida who pulls cars over when people have wrecked the car on the side of the road. Their people are dead in the car, not from the car accident. He right. said it's just going through the roof. So if somebody, if somebody were to die suddenly and the shot were to be the problem, would it be a result of these clots just moving into a weird place? Or do we have any idea what could cause a sudden death like that? Sudden death like that is most likely caused by a massive clot either a massive blood clot to the brain that cuts off flow of blood and therefore oxygen to the brain, or a massive blood clot to the lung or to the heart, uh, and which would cause somebody to essentially have sudden cardiac death. Um, it, there's no question that we are seeing significant increases in other things, what I call the itises, myocarditis, pericarditis, nephritis, neuritis, hepatitis, inflammation, of different tissues. Mm -hmm. Itis at the end of a word in medicine means inflammation. So we are seeing inflammation occurring all over the body. Myocarditis and pericarditis have been reported. And we know from a huge Israeli study that came out that this is not a result of COVID. The Israeli study looked at more than half a million people 
who had had COVID and not vaccinated and found no increase in myocarditis and wow. pericarditis in wow. people who had COVID without vaccine. So these increases in cardiac inflammation are occurring in the vaccinated population, particularly in, in younger boys, uh, young males, males between the ages of say 12 and 18, but uh, happening in females and happening in other age groups as well. Then we're seeing in the hepatitis inflammation of the liver. We're seeing neuritis inflammation of nerves causing everything from Bell's palsy to Guillain-Barre syndrome. Uh, so there's this inflammatory component that we are seeing in people who've been vaccinated is very alarming. Uh, and we have no idea what the long-term impact is going to be on things like autoimmune diseases, incidence of cancer, neurologic development, fertility, and on and on. All right. Now, so let me ask about that because a friend of mine, now, here we go again. Says she was forced to get the vax for a job. Okay, we'll leave that there. Uh, got the vax, got Guillain-Barre for a very short period of time, but she did get it. it, was debilitating temporarily. Once somebody has that kind of reaction, even if they get over it, clearly there's something going on with their body, right? So long-term, what would the implications be of something like that? Well, we simply don't know because the data is not there. We haven't had adequate time to study it. Guillain-Barre is a terrifying thing. You know, yeah. you get progressive uh, paralysis. Uh, there are people who end up on a ventilator because the paralysis actually uh, impacts their diaphragm so they can't breathe. Wow. Uh, I was talking to the tech at my local hospital uh, who has just gotten back to work after six months off for Guillain-Barre young, previously healthy guy ended up in a wheelchair, is now just able to get up and walk, but nowhere near what he was uh, prior to this incident. And I asked him, I said, wow, had you had a viral you know, infection? What do you think caused the Guillain-Barre? And he told me in no uncertain terms, I had to get the vaccine. I didn't want it. I'd already had COVID. I had to get the vaccine in order to keep my job. His wife is also employed at the same hospital and they made a decision one of them had to keep their jobs and not be fired for wow. failure to take the vaccine. And since they hadn't started a family yet, they decided to protect her, uh, have her not get vaccinated. He took the vaccine so he could keep the job and pay their, their rent. And he got Guillain-Barre. Uh, it's a devastating thing. And, and no one knows if he will end up ultimately over a matter of months or years, make a full recovery. But right now you've got a you know, 28, 29 year old guy, previously healthy athlete who can barely walk across the room without using a cane. I mean, this is devastating. This is devastating. I'm just wondering too, when it comes to things like the implications of, I saw a story in Canada, they don't want to give you a, an organ transplant unless you've had the vax. I don't want your organ full of spike proteins. <laughs> I mean, I, now if I were dying, right. I, mean, I had no choice, right? But I mean, that's, those implications, we don't even know how bad that is. That what's, what's going to be in the blood spike protein that could potentially affect you and me uh, in organs. Talk a little bit about that, what we know at this point. Well, let's talk about what we were lied to about. We were told that the mRNA vaccines, number one, would stay in your arm where they were injected, that you would create the antibodies, but the mRNA would stay where it was injected. Well, we know, and we know that Pfizer knew well before the vaccines were launched on the public, that the mRNA does not stay in your arm. Within a matter of hours, it travels to almost every major organ system and concerningly, 11% of it ends up in the reproductive organs, the testes and the ovaries, okay? But it ends up in the colon, the liver, the heart, the brain, the lung tissue, all over. Number two, 
we were told that the mRNA would be very quickly eliminated from your body. If you go to the CDC's own website today, it says within, quote, within several days, the mRNA is eliminated from the body. Yeah. Well, we know from a multitude of studies that that is not true. It stays in excess of 30 days in most people and months in others. So you're yeah. continuing to crank out those spike proteins. Then we were told, well, mRNA does not get incorporated or do anything to impact your DNA. And I actually believed that initially because that would be the, the, the norm. But that in fact, crazy to me at first, too. I was thinking it did. On. And I said, no, that's not how it works. mRNA doesn't get incorporated into DNA, mm -hmm. except that this one does. And we have studies that are irrefutable. And not only does it get incorporated into the DNA, it does so within a matter of hours, six hours in liver cells, the mRNA from these COVID vaccines incorporated into the DNA. Why is that important? Because that means your body doesn't eliminate DNA ever, right, right. which means that you could in perpetuity be cranking out these spike proteins that the mRNA has directed you to do. So, and we know that the spike itself is toxic. We know that the spike itself can cause blood clots, neurologic issues, autoimmune issues, and on and on. So this is terrifying. And we were con absolutely, uh, you know, told by, by the FDA, the CDC, the vaccine manufacturers, that's just three things that I've rattled off that we were assured wouldn't happen. And we know irrefutably are happening. Okay. These shots should have been removed from the market over a year ago. No question. One other, I know you got to run, so I got two other quick questions for you. One is, what about, you know, you, you said that your friend did not, he got the shot, he tried to protect his wife. What about semen? Is this spike protein going to be in semen? And if so, how could it affect her if they're trying to get pregnant or just having sex because they just want to for fun? I mean, what are the implications there? Do we know? We, we don't know. What we do know is that sperm counts are significantly decreased in males who have been vaccinated. Uh, which may well be why we are seeing decreased birth rates all around the world. Some places, uh, you know, lots of places, as much as 10%, Germany, Sweden, Finland, mm -hmm. uh, Taiwan down 26 plus percent wow. in their birth rates. So we know that sperm counts are decreased in males. We have no idea if the spike protein may show up in the uh, seminal fluid in vaccinated males that may somehow then be transferred uh, to a partner. These are all unknowns. And these are the kinds of things, Heidi, that would normally be figured out during the prolonged testing period. This is why the average vaccine takes six, eight, 10 years to come to market if it ever comes to market at all, because these are the questions we need to have answers to. You know, now they're talking about creating this new bivalent vaccine for the reasons I said, because the spike protein on the Wuhan strain you know, is, is gone and therefore the vaccines, even Anthony Fauci said last week, quote, the vaccines are not particularly effective at stopping you from getting COVID. What else do you need to hear? Right. As a result, they're talking about making this new bivalent vaccine that includes both portions of the Wuhan strain. And I don't know why they do that since it doesn't exist anymore right. and BA4 and BA5. And the problem are two couple. Number one, by the time they launch these things in October or November, BA4 and BA5 will be gone. We'll right. be on to the next one, okay? We were fighting last year's war. But interestingly, when they were asked, wow, would you be able to create that vaccine 
that bivalent vaccine with both Wuhan and BA4, BA5 as quickly as the fall? And their answer was, as long as we don't have to provide any safety data, you betcha. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's stunning. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, I could I could create a new automobile, uh, a new antibiotic, a new a lot of things if I didn't have to provide any safety data, if I could just you know, create it and go here, buy my new car. Hasn't been safety tested, but you know. Yeah, let's it's create ready. a new thing to put your baby on the table with and not right. It's unbelievable. Okay, unbelievable. Finally, because I know you got to run. People like me and you who've had COVID, not the shot. Is there any long-term damage done? Because I know I had some weird symptoms and I felt like this is not the flu. Some weird things that happened like, uh, you know, uh, digestive things and some other pains in weird places. Long-term, do we know anything about the effect these kind of things have on people, the COVID? Well, we know that COVID, you know, they've, they've come up with this term long COVID. Uh, it's interesting because for the decades, like the you know century before uh, COVID, it's what we used to refer to as post-viral syndrome. There are many bad viruses, influenza, Epstein-Barr virus, you know, the mononucleosis viruses, those uh, that can cause lingering effects of various sorts. Sometimes it's muscle fatigue. Sometimes it's uh, exercise intolerance. Sometimes it's, you know, muscle aches, headaches, those sorts of things. And there's no question that certain people who had COVID have been suffering from some prolonged symptoms, what we would call post-viral syndrome, likely related to that spike protein uh, in inflammatory changes that have happened. The good news is if you had the virus, and weren't vaccinated, if you had the virus, you will ultimately get over that. You ultimately will eradicate the spike proteins and the inflammatory process will calm down. If on the other hand, you have mRNA or now DNA that is telling your body, keep creating them. But we still don't know what's gonna happen ultimately to people who've already had COVID recovered and then gotten the shot. That's the, the scariest part. You know, all bets are off. I have no idea. I can't say what's going to happen and neither can anyone else. That's the problem. They can't. We listen. don't know. Um, a report just came out uh, yesterday that uh, experts from the CDC and the NIH are leaving in droves. They're leaving in droves. There are gobs of high level job openings now and they're leaving. And unfortunately, tragically, but perhaps uh, not unpredictably, none of these quote experts has the integrity to come out and speak openly, right. publicly about what it is they know and why they are leaving. They're all saying under the guarantee of anonymity that it's because there is no leadership, because they were not following the science, because there's a paucity of safety data. You know, they're saying things like, you know, that they were appalled that the vaccines have been recommended to children and they just can't live with that. Well, you know, I would suggest to them, great that you're leaving the, uh, you know, the corrupt institution for which you were working, but you've been living off the largesse of the, uh, you know, taxpayer dollars with a cushy government job all these years. I think they owe it to the American public who's been paying their salaries to stand up, speak up, and be honest about why they are leaving uh, and say to the American public, we let you down. We have not had your safety and well-being in mind. Uh, and really, we need a whistleblower big time right now. It would go a long ways to getting us out of this debacle. Well, I'll tell you what, you know this better than anybody because of what you've dealt with. Moral courage is is absolutely just, just about vanished from yes, America. It. People don't want to speak out. You know a lot of doctors who know darn well what right. they're saying isn't true. You sat with them. You, you run into them apart. <laughs> I sat with you in virology class. Why do you, how did you 
never know better than this. And they won't stand up. Correct. Stunning to me that, that they're to me, they're more complicit than the ones who don't know the ones who know better and will not take a stand. I, I agree with you. In the words of John Milton, virtue untested is no virtue at all. That's absolutely true. Thank you, Dr. Kelly Victor. I put your website up there. It's earlycovidcare.org. Check that out too. She makes no money from it, but there's great information on there. A lot of doctors have gotten together and, uh, and talked about a lot of information that helps you. So thank you, Dr. Victor. We will talk Thanks. to you soon. Thanks. Bye, Heidi. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget, you can find me Sunday nights live in St. Louis, 97.1 FM Talk. During the week, I do videos and podcasts. You can find all those at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, please, please, I'm begging you, think for yourself, do your own research, and never forget, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. (laughs) 